Hey guys, have you checked out 336 Daily? Did you know that sometimes, in fact, pretty often, I've been recording it in my car while driving to different job sites? That's how easy Anchor is to make podcasts. With Anchor, you can record your podcast and edit your podcast and upload your podcast all in the Anchor app, and then it makes sure it goes after iTunes and Spotify and wherever you need to put it. It, they take care of everything, distribution. They help you with advertising and getting in commercials. Check out the Anchor app. Go to the App Store and download the Anchor app for free or go to anchor.fm to check it out. This is Frankie McDonald, my own TV station live in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Major winter storm is headed towards Maryland on Tuesday, March 14, 2017. It's going to bring up to 6 to 12 inches of snow or more. It's going to bring a lot of snow. Drifting and blowing snow, it's going to bring reduced visibility, weather conditions, sense that storms going to intensify off the east coast of the United States. That's going to bring a lot of snow in the state of Maryland, especially in Baltimore, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. as well. For fans, by fans. Section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk. Today on the show, we'll talk briefly with Stan, the fan, Charles, and get an education lesson for all those millennials who think baseball started five years ago. We will also talk about Alvarez moving from being a, an outfielder to being a pitcher. And then I, I heard that what he was a DH, and now he's an outfielder again. I'm just really confused. Uh, so Josh will explain this all to me. All that and more on this edition of Section 336. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Baltimore sports fans of all ages, welcome to Section 336, the next generation of Baltimore sports talk. I'm your endearing and stuttering host, Matt Soroka. As always, I'm joined by the Zany Burt Roday. What up, 336ers? And by the button lover, Josh Soroka. Enjoying that snow day? I'm assuming everyone's sitting at home in the snow listening to this on a Tuesday morning. Now you live in Easton, it gonna rain. And we're also joined by the intern. My mic's still off. All right, good. The mic, the intern's <laughs> mic's still off, it's, which we're all when, when you talk into the mic and you hear yourself, that means it's not off. It was off during the oh. interview that we'll get to later because it went as you played Minesweeper over there with all your clicking. <laughs> Minesweeper so, yeah, is a classic you're, game. You will we be muted encourage. during the interview coming up. The millennials, my bracket perfect. Millennials don't appreciate good games like Minesweeper anymore. We should encourage that. Yeah, that or like that banana monkey throwing game. Oh, absolutely. I think it was yeah. a Donkey Kong gorillas. Jr.? No. No, uh, where you would type in the coordinates yeah, was, of your monkey to throw and you had to break the building that your other monkey was. Make it higher, I don't remember that one. Oh. The arch and it was, the velocity. It was advanced snakes. Yeah. All um, I know is uh, right now, according to my phone, it's snowing in Arnold right now. 
I don't know, but I can't see out the big studio window. To Intern, know if that's go true see if it's snowing. <laughs> and then that'll be my cue to give wrap this a, thing give up. Give us a weather report from this. <laughs> well, from we got a ton of we got an interview. We got a ton of stuff to talk about. Hopefully, it'll be but, a short interview. But um, as you guys, yeah, I'm sure it'll be brief because <laughs> it's going. It's snowing. Um, but we, uh, it's it's that time of year again. They just announced it on Sunday. The the bracketology, the brackets. It's time for the annual reading of our brackets Yay! i'm gonna go first okay all right and then you guys can go next while, while you do that i'm gonna go lock the intern outside and in the east regional nova versus smu or uno don't know what that means i'm going with nova then the next game the eight nine seed wisconsin versus virginia tech i have virginia tech with the mild upset uno then what would that be university of new orleans is university, that a thing excuse me university of virginia is paying oh, sorry unc wilmington i have virginia to win that game <laughs> then moving on to florida versus etsu I have Florida uh, with the not upset. SMU, really like those guys. They got some good guards. I have SMU to beat USC or Providence. I think we all get your joke. We're not going to read your brackets. You guys, every if, year. Every if you guys I was going to let him go. go. You guys let me go. I'll do the whole thing. We just did a 50-minute interview. I, I just love it so much how everyone on the radio and on Twitter all wants to share their Final Four, <laughs> share their Sweet No one cares right. who you have in Sweet 16. It's just like fantasy football teams. Yeah. Ex- Nobody cares. Except everyone sucks at this. Okay, so even if you think, oh, I got my Final Four, right. you're, it's going to suck. Right. I know that because every year – Everyone's bracket sucks. And every year they have some contests where if you get the bracket perfect, you win a bazillion dollars. You have a and better no one, chance no one's of winning won. the freaking lottery, yeah. Or getting struck by lightning. Yeah. So I love how everyone loves has to tell me all their upsets. I don't give a crap. You don't know. I don't know. No one has any idea. M- moving on to the Midwest. Kansas facing <laughs> NCCU or UCD, whatever those mean. I have Kansas. Miami versus Michigan State University. Again, the 9-8 upset Michigan State University get past Miami. Breaking news, Carroll County Schools and Hartford County Schools now closed. The rest will follow And the quickly. Lady Terps got screwed with a C- three seed. Apparently, that's not good enough for them. Uh, but, and let's touch on the brackets quickly, or briefly, just from, just from the Terps. a Terps perspective. The fact that they suck and they still somehow well, got how, a six. How stressful, and I watch, I never watch these selection things live. I'm, I'm like one of those guys who, when I say I'm not going to watch the preseason, I actually don't watch preseason games where everybody else I know says they don't watch preseason games, but then they watch the preseason games. Sure. This right. is one of those selection. I don't, normally don't watch it. Never, everyone says they don't watch it, but most people do watch it. But normally I don't. But I watched this time, and man, that was stressful because Maryland, and I was live tweeting the whole time. You can follow me on Twitter at Section336. And I was, I was live tweeting the whole time, and it wasn't until the very last team uh, matchup uh, showed up that Maryland was there. And, uh, you know, you thought for sure that they were in. But still, you, you like to see their name on the board. And they made you wait all the way to the very last selection to see that name revealed. Um, I would not be surprised. I have no idea how far Maryland would go. I would not be surprised if they lost to Xavier in the first round. And I would not be surprised if they went to the Sweet 16. Uh, <laughs> right. I think Sweet 16 is kind of their max. Well, because they do they do have a, a weaker bracket with uh, was it Florida State. Uh, so you could think if they can actually play decent basketball, they they have a chance to get down to sixteen. The problem is, they haven't played decent basketball in a while. Yeah, yeah. So Mella Tremble has to be amazing. He has to be one of those thirty-point games. Was that Northwestern when they played them the first time? I don't know. He's guys has to give one of those thirty-point performances, career type games. Um, and the three freshmen, all of them have to show up. Jackson has to show up. Herder has to show up, which Herder has been showing up. 
but Jackson, who hasn't been showing up, has to show up. Um, and Cowan has to has to show up too. So the chances of that happening, probably not very good since it hasn't happened re- recently. Uh, but I expect I expect the game with Xavier to be close, uh, to go down to the limit, uh, and we'll and we'll see what happens. And then it should be an interesting uh, matchup with Florida State in the in the next round, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, it should be should be entertaining. Should be uh, fun. ACC wait, wait, rival. When's that Maryland? That Maryland game's on Thursday, right? Yeah, it's Thursday at six fifty. Uh, so that's good timing for that me. That is good time. Yeah, yeah. that's good, good, good time. From Not too late. I hate those twelve forty games. You know what's going to also be up at six fifty? The sun will still be out at six fifty. Thank you, yeah. daylight savings time. All right, maybe we can just always leave the sun this way and not mess Seriously, with it in the fall. I love this time. My uh, my alma mater, Belmont, got eliminated. Oh no! In the OVC semis, but they always go to the tournament by a team that they beat twice by a combined thirty points in the regular season. So who's representing your conference this year? I don't know. Once they lost in the semis, I didn't even okay. bother to see who won. See, I still follow like Winthrop is representing the Big South. Liberty didn't make it, but Winthrop's rep- representing the Big South. So I, I I'm keeping an eye out for my Yeah. my Winthrop Eagles. They were the second year in a row top seeded was eliminated in the semis. 15 and 1 season. But this is the Man. fun thing about the tournament. I know I'm sorry that your Belmont boys didn't make it, but No, you're not. I know I really don't <laughs> care that much. But for us, Who've gone to these little schools, little Division One schools? Right. Um, there's this kind of one chance for us to get national recognition, uh, and that that one hope that we can be part of this thing with all these other big schools. Yeah, yeah. Be able to watch them on ESPN. North. Yeah. Instead of ESPN three. Right, right. <laughs> where we normally play. ESPN U. Yeah. All right. I uh, uh, watched uh, the. <laughs> I'll start to say Washington because I saw the WBC World Baseball Classic. Yeah. yeah, the Orioles are kind of. I'm all over. over it. Oh my gosh, how awesome has this World Baseball Classic been? How awesome, by the way, has Manny Machado been? Well, the, he's a freaking human highlight reel. I heard he's been jacking up his uh, right contract the, price. The, the freaking MVP. Well, what it is is the rest of the world is starting to realize that Manny Machado is really, really good because every time he plays, he's got the highlights. He hit a he hit a big home run to help the Dominican Republic come back. Him and uh, Cruz, I believe, went back to back against Andrew Miller. Wow. Uh, Andrew Miller looked horrible, which is hopefully good things for this coming year. And then uh, two outstanding grabs, uh, one on a big shift, which I'm surprised everyone didn't freak out because in the video it looks like he's playing shortstop, but it's just a shift. And then another one, uh, another classic Manny foul line grab and throw and turn double play. And there's another one, too, that the guy on first dropped that Chris Davis would have caught. But but he's he's been amazing, and he's been in everyone – like the whole world is looking at him and saying, yeah, "Oh my gosh, this guy's like, who is this guy?" And we've well, been, well, not who is he, but he, wow, we didn't realize how good he really right, was. Right, right. And it's, so his stock's rising. What he, well, what he's doing is he is becoming the face of baseball. He's becoming a superstar right before our eyes. Right. Major League Baseball is still focused on on uh, Tebow, but meanwhile, the rest <laughs> of the world's focused on Manny. Yeah, he is. He's becoming because I feel like. He was never getting the same credit as Trout or Harper. He wasn't. But in the World Baseball Classic, He's he better. has emerged as the best player in the World Baseball Classic. Right. Yeah. And that's well, I think a lot. Trout and Harper aren't in the, aren't playing. Right? No, I don't think they're playing. So he's definitely uh, He's been the star. He's the star. Uh, Adam Jones had a big hit uh, a few days ago. Which Castillo was has played really fun. well. Yeah. Uh, the Orioles are just yeah. covering this and game I f- up. And I find myself, I don't know how you guys are on this, and they've been great games, and it's just the enthusiasm. It's, it's like unbelievable. It, it looks like a soccer game. And you see some of the highlights of them playing in like Korea and Japan. Right. They're going bonkers in the stands. Even yeah. the, down in Miami, the Dominican Republic yes. fans were yes. awesome. Yes. I want that. 
in there, Baltimore. There was more people at in attendance than has ever been at a Miami Marlins game. Right. At, at that game. Oh, I'm sure. They broke attendance records. Um for a, a what we would call a meaningless game in March. Right. So it's pretty cool to see how popular baseball is in the world. And people want to talk about baseball is not healthy. Did people you, aren't going crazy like that for the NFL. People aren't going crazy like that for the NBA. That's that's pretty special. Did, cool did you see, did you going see the uh, the rule when the game goes into the 12th inning? Ele- I think it's the 11th. 11th inning. When first ne- and second. Yeah, that's 11th. Yeah, because Netherlands did it the other day. So yeah. a guy starts on first base and a guy starts on second base. Right. Yeah. Now that's because they're trying to save pitchers' arms and stuff because it's meaningless baseball. Right. But, I, and I find myself rude. I don't really care. To be honest, I, don't hate me. I And I've never been a huge nationalist where, like, the Olympics, I want the U.S. to win, but I don't care all that much. Like, I don't well, – I'm not counting medals. Um, right. And with this, especially the World Baseball Classic, I find myself – and I know Bert might disagree because he's always rooting for the jersey. I find myself rooting for the players. Like, I root for Cruz. I root for Castillo. Yeah. I root for Orioles and former and Orioles good game. to play well. Yeah, Matt, and, just and, say it. You hate America. <laughs> That's fine. I, I would be – I'm okay when the DR wins. When the DR wins <laughs> with my as, boy right. uh, Cruz and my boy Castillo and, and my your boy, boy Batista. Uh, not my boy Batista. I see, see. I root for Batista to strike out. Right. I root for Machado to hit home runs. I do the same thing. I watch it. I <laughs> root, I'm, I'm root, root for, for my guys, and I and I root for just good games. Yeah. Because I complained about the World Baseball Classic, and I still think it's stupid that it takes place during spring training. But what it has turned into is meaningless games that are fun that the players care about. Instead of spring training, which is meaningless games, the players aren't really into. And I get to see awesome highlights over and over again of Manny Machado making no, great plays. It's I'm, what, co- I'm cool with that. You know what it is? It's what the All-Star game should be. Yeah. So I'm okay with the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, I'm okay with it too. I think it's fun. How long is this thing going to last, though? How long does this? How long do they, do they play till the end of March? I I, I think it's got to be and another go, week or two. I can't figure two. out what's going on with all the rounds. I don't know. I don't know. Pool A, pool B, pool oh, C. I don't, I don't it ends on March 22nd. You know what it is? They're using like soccer style, where it's like based on score and yeah. because there was like a blowout, and they said, well, both teams are still trying because the points matter in tiebreakers. And apparently, it started like in New York and Brooklyn in 2012 or something. <laughs> I don't know. It I like don't, started somewhere else, right? Oh yeah, you're right. Because play, the play-in to, rounds, the play-in rounds to get into. I don't know how it all works. Yeah. I know that with all of this, the Olympic Committee said, "Hey, we're bringing back baseball," and uh, Rob Manfred said, "That's great. You won't have college any players. major league baseball you can players, use the college players." Yeah, you can. It always has players. been that way. There were major yeah. league baseball right. players never exactly. played in the Olympics. Exactly, but yeah. that's what kind of why they took baseball away from the Olympics because the Olympics are supposed to be the best players. You don't have the best players if you're dealing with college kids. Remember back in the day that you, you used to be able to get every four years you would get the Team USA baseball cards with your right. tops baseball card set, and they had guys like Mark McGuire played on the, yeah, the Olympics before he became Brad, a Brad pro. Brock. I think was on the Olympic. Yeah, team. yeah. So. But it's just, yeah. World Baseball Classic's been okay. By the way, be careful if you Google WBC or you might be sent to the Westboro, Westboro Baptist Church website. Uh-oh. They're not very friendly. Yeah, they're not very friendly. <laughs> yeah, and if you type their slogan in, that doesn't get you to the Baseball Classic either. <laughs> so um, in a little bit, we're going to get to this interview. You want to? We talk on the interview, we get down a little bit about the pitching, but you want to talk about what's going on with the pitching and the fact that now uh, Tillman is, I guess, they're saying 10-day disable list to start the game. But, of course, we're all scared. It's going to be longer than well, 10 days. He's done like, for the year. No one believes No one believes 10 days, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is like they reset – because Tillman he threw, 
and there was shoulder soreness. He threw like one pitch, and then so, he said, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" So they <laughs> so re- It's like they reset. They're going back to to, to square one with they, this. They brought down the Raven trainers yeah. to look at him. Oh, geez, and so that can't be good. I I wasn't sure if that was because his arm hurts or because the Ravens need help. Yeah, yeah, and and so this is like he's out an indefinite amount of time. It, it could be it could be a month. It could be the whole season. Right. At this point, we have no idea. Right. And I think you have to kind of prepare for the worst, right? So you look at, and I've been, we've been having this stupid conversation about who's going to be the Orioles' fifth outfielder. How stupid is that now when we don't have a freaking fifth starter? Yeah. Who cares who the fifth, right. fifth outfielder is? No, and now we just... Stupid. And somehow we brought in more outfielders. And so the options are... Right. and the, the Let's two, get the board going again. Let's get the board because we got a bunch of names to throw out here for the fifth starter spot. The ones you hear the most are my two least favorite options are Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson. Hate these guys. Been there, <laughs> done that, seen it. They're having, first of all, they're having bad spring trainings. We've seen them for the past two years now as being not very good. What about what about the the option of uh, maybe we just didn't see good Mike Wright, or we brought Mike Wright up too early, and now he's getting ready. Yeah, no, I want him because remember he did pitch like what two really good games. Yeah, and then he's he, shown flashes. All right. these guys shown flashes. Right. They're all not terrible. Yeah, but you know who else we've seen uh, with flashes? Your boy Brian Mattis. Yeah, and that was a bust. Yeah. But also, Jake Arrieta. And, and, and just name any pitcher who's ever made to the majors have shown flashes being good at one point or another. Um, but I would rather Mike Wright end up in the bullpen where he can read Harry Potter all day and then come in the seventh inning and, and throw, just throw hard. Yeah. So it's, read about some magic uh, potions in, in Harry Potter all and right. come in for an inning. So Wright, Wilson, who's next? You know You know it. Yeah, sure. You know or you know Gabriel, you um, who we got from the Mets for cash considerations. That's our fifth starter, boys and girls. A guy we got from the Mets for cash considerations. <laughs> um, another former Met, Logan Barrett, is, is in the discussion. Uh, Vidal Nuno, a guy we got from um, Los Angeles, right? How, how do you spell Nuno? N-U-N-U-O. Okay, whatever. I didn't say that, but whatever. Sounds right. N-U-N-O. Oh, no, no, I added extra U in there. N-U-N-O. El Nino. Yeah. Spanish for the Nino. Um, another guy, my favorite guy, and I think outsider's pick, I he is my pick for to be our fifth starter come whenever we need that fifth starter, April 15th or whatever. Um, Logan Andruzic. <laughs> he's in there too, right? No, he's not. All right. Jason Aquino. People have been talking, and, and he's bumped around the minors, different minor we, league teams. We saw him a little bit last year. Yeah. They say, though. Good, good job, intern. They say though they've taken his cur- his curveball is at a new level, and so far in spring training, nine innings, one run. Well, that that sounds pretty good. Except were they nine innings consecutive? Because no. nine innings consecutive with one run, I'll take. No, but I mean he has the most innings pitched uh, this spring. Nine innings, right. one run, nine strikeouts. Uh, so he's having a great spring. All these guys, uh, Inoa, Verrett, or Verrett. Nuno, Aquino, they're all having great springs. A couple of guys to, to throw on the list there is is Chris Lee. Actually, this is it. Just Chris Lee. Chris Lee. Uh, Chris Lee. And Chris Lee knows best. All those guys besides Wright and Wilson are having really good springs. And so I, I like that. I think just, hey, how about a straight, a straight spring training competition? Winner gets it. If you even want to throw, I know this is more Burt's area with Survivor and stuff, but if you want to throw in some elimination challenges or whatever sure. to, to thin the field. For immunity. Yeah. Survivor's <laughs> ready? Yeah, here's what you do. You take a bucket of balls, you put the empty bucket behind home plate, 
first person to get five balls into the bucket, you're the star. Like a carnival game. Well, exactly. That could, be, that could be one immunity challenge. But you have seven guys there. So let's take the last time. How many more weeks got of spring training left? Let, let's take these three weeks. Three. Yeah, let's take these three weeks and just have these seven guys fight out for this one spot. Let the best man win. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what's going to happen if they don't pick anybody so, else up. So you think Aquino gets it? I, that's who my favorite is right now. I'm saying if I had to choose right oh, now, I would say Jason Aquino, which is an upset pick because the favorite. The favorite's got to be Mike Wright. Probably Mike Wright and, and right below him is Wilson yeah. are the favorites. And now, I'm going outsider pick for Aquino, who's also a lefty, which I think would be useful to have a lefty in there. Right. Now, is this – No, the, lefty. This is uh, – this is part of Buck liking his guys is the Wright and Wilson situation, right? Well, they have the most experience. I mean, yep, they've done it before. Why isn't Doug Pister still out there? He is. Haven't we always wanted a lefty that we could put into the rotation? Doug Pister is a lefty, right? I don't think he is. I think he's a righty. All right, never. If he's a righty, then never mind. But he's that's a veteran. I think he's like 32, 33 years old. Uh, I think he's like 36, 37. He just turned 33. Just turned oh, 33. Oh, really? Yes. See, okay. he's not that old. But he throws like 80 miles per hour. Who cares? He's pitched in the majors for many years. We've got a bunch of young guys. Don't you just want a veteran guy in there? He's a righty. No, I don't. Because you, do you know what a veteran guy screams of? Washed up? Giovanni Gallardo. Yeah. I, I don't, I, Wouldn't I, you take by Hannah Gardo? No. It ties you up. It ties your team up. I, I'd rather have seven guys run with the hot hand than have a, a washed-up veteran. I would. I, see, I guess, sure. I mean, if if Buck wants to, he could go whatever this is, seven weeks with a different fifth starter. And, I mean, if you want to just go with the hot hand. What? Hey, hold on. According to what I'm seeing, he's oh, – never mind. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> he was with the Astros last year. I saw January, and I thought it said 2017, but it said 2016. Yeah, no, he's hanging out there. He's hanging. Hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. And I know Stan, the fan Charles, who we're going to interview soon, wrote an article about Kobe Lewis. Which right, is which is another option. guy out there. So, yeah. and, um, and Brian Mattis, by the way, is still out there. You mentioned him. He's still out there. Right. Well, you would think, <laughs> well, we keep signing outfielders because we don't know what to do. Why don't we just keep signing pitchers? Just bring in a bunch of pitchers. Well, that's what we did. You know what we brought in. Right. Barrett we brought in. Nuno we brought in. We brought in those three guys. Okay. And now it's time for them to put on their big boy pants to compete for a starting spot. According to this, the D-backs and Brian Mattis have agreed to a minor league deal. Oh, those D-bags. I mean D-backs. <laughs> backs, backs, backs. backs. Sorry. Uh, yeah, on February 13th. Oh, that's old news, huh? <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that's a little... Isn't uh isn't that where um oh we also brought in my favorite guy you got to add someone to the list Steve Johnson Steve Johnson yeah he's not he's, he's not even I, I was including guys on the forty man I don't he's not even, even on the forty man I, well I don't even think he got invited to big league camp yeah he's not on the forty man no um and I just included guys on the forty man so uh, I'm really I this is to me all of a sudden though like pause the spin. Spring training, which was pretty lame because we were fighting about who's going to be the fifth outfielder. Spring training got a little more exciting. Yeah, we got, we got to find another, a starting pitching. We right. got to find a starting pitcher, and we got a bunch of arms. We don't know if they're good or not. <laughs> right, but they're mostly young arms, hungry arms, mostly unproven arms. So, so let's see what happens. I mean, the good thing is reason to watch outside of this Tillman issue. Everyone else seems to be getting be healthy. JJ, JJ Harding's progressing. Back. Yeah, Zach Britton seems to be doing all right. There was yeah. a JJ Harding sitting today. Yeah, he uh, batted. 
Yeah, that was also also today. Trey Mancini played in the outfield. Hmm. After all that talk of we're not going to try him, now we're trying him and Pedro Alvarez in the outfield. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. Hey, and we didn't. I don't think we talked about this. Well, but well, Josh, you you screamed about Daryl Alvarez becoming a pitcher. Yeah, they finally and it's they finally did it. Yeah, I, I they had to go up to him and say, "Hey, we're going to cut you, or you can be a pitcher," <laughs> because he was refusing to be leave that outfield. Yeah, and it's very intriguing to me. Daryl Alvarez is a pitcher because if he shows uh, decent stuff, isn't he then all of a sudden your number one trade option? Because in the no. National League, wouldn't you kill no. for a pitcher that could actually hit the ball? I He's got a bat and he can pitch. What, no, we first can't of all, use him. He, he can't hit, or he would have been the majors by, by now. And he's never even pitched before, and he's 28, so it's not like he's a prospect. So right, whatever. Have you talked to Daryl Alvarez? Daryl Alvarez thinks he can start in the majors today. Yeah, well, he's not going to. I know. I know he's not. So that's like having a 29-year-old prospect. When, when do we play our first National League ballpark? When, when's that first interleague game? Yeah. That's when we bring up Daryl Alvarez. How much – if he played in the majors, what would his batting average be if he played in the majors every day? I don't know, like 219? Yeah. Okay, fine. You have a guy who can hit 219. No, <laughs> Secret I don't know. weapon. I was, going, I, was just going, <laughs> I was just going low. I'm not sure what he No, I, I think that's actually pretty accurate. Get him off the bench. All right, we got to We got to. Uh, we're, our show is going to be obnoxiously long today, and we're. He, Daryl a? Alvarez has yeah. had three at bats in the major leagues. Okay. His batting average is three thirty-three. Okay. Hey, that's that's awesome. <laughs> that's going to make the Hall of Fame <laughs> bat three or three for well, one three for one hit career. one hit. Um. Uh, yeah, I wonder. Do you, would would you do this trade, Josh? And we, I appreciate John uh, throwing this in chat. Would you straight up? Daryl Alvarez, as a pitcher, convert him as a pitcher, trade him straight up for Tim Tebow. Yes, what, for one reason. Who hangs up on that the deal? The same reason. No, no. It's you want to sign the same reason the Mets signed Tebow is the same reason the pa- the same reason the Patriots signed Tebow. The same reason any sport Tebow wants to play, you sign him. Anywhere he wants to play, you sign him. Because what Tebow does that no one else does is he sells jerseys. If we could afford him, I would sign him <laughs> to come on Section 336 and be sure. and, and take the intern T- spot. If we had 336 Tebow shirts, they'd go like hotcakes. That's right. We would have a bunch of listeners in Florida. Yeah, who cares? Tebow sells stuff that you think the Mets are letting Tebow play because he's a plan for their outfield. No, it's because when he makes that stupid slide and dive and catch, it's on ESPN twenty two times. When he, when an he hour. gets a double play into a double play, he gets a standing ovation. Right, right. <laughs> Tebow gets them TV time. They sell Mets jerseys that say Tebow. He's never gonna play. It's for why the to Mets. this day the Jaguars were the, one of the dumbest franchises in all the NFL. It makes no sense. We're not drafting him and making a ton of money off Tim Tebow. Forget even not drafting. He'd probably still be their starting quarterback. When, when he was considered a washed up quarterback. Why didn't the Jaguars sign him? They weren't going anywhere. As their third string. Who cares? They could have made enough money off of Tebow to then sign Tom Brady down the road. I mean. Josh with the hot takes. (laughs) The Jaguars could have Tom Brady right now. They blew it. Right. (laughs) See, the smart move is you sign Tebow as your backup quarterback. The money you make off the jerseys you use to buy a real quarterback. That's how it works in the NFL. And now the Mets are trying to do it. That's the only reason. We wonder why Josh is not an NFL executive. Body hey. my mind. All right. Well, I turn on ESPN and let me see if you can go 15 minutes without without seeing a Tebow highlight. Doesn't happen. No, I know. I, oh, I know. I Why understand. are we even talking about Tebow? Uh, someone in the chat room. Uh-huh. Some knucklehead in the chat room. All right. Uh, we gotta get to this interview because because it's freaking snowing outside. We're all be snowed in here and stranded here for the. Uh, that'll week. be 
awful. Yeah. All right. can, can you, well, might be entertaining. Josh and the intern stranded. This should be like a reality TV show. Josh and the intern get stranded for a week only, in the same house. Survivor. Only if it's like that new one. Literal survivor. Only if it's like that news show that that Russian like billionaire is making where you're on an island with bears and anything goes, including murder. Mm-hmm. Whatever you can do to survive. Oh, so Bears? I, yeah. I thought you were, I'm not aware of this show. Oh, it's it's going to be like an internet show and everyone's got to sign a release. So like if another contestant murders you, it's okay. Not the TV's fault. Oh, the cast members can murder yeah, each other? Yeah, they can murder each I other. I thought it was, he was talking about like the, murdering bears. No, no the, uh, I didn't think that was considered The Russian murder. billionaire said that we are going to videotape everything and watch everything. And we are not going to try to interfere if there's murder, rape. Or a bear attack. This is real life Hunger Games. So I'm excited yeah. for this show. We won't be happy until intern, the whole I'll world you, is I'll, real life Hunger Games. I'll get you the info to sign up later, intern. We'll all live in Sector 12. I'll be watching. Joke's on you. You used to call me on my cell phone. Day night when you need my love. Call me on my cell phone. Day night when you need Dan the Fan Charles is the founder and publisher of Pressbox. He also serves as co-host of Inside Pressbox and ABC2 and is a regular columnist for PressboxOnline.com and the company's monthly print edition. A lifelong sports fanatic, he began doing radio sports talk in in Baltimore in 1981, longer than a lot of the millennials have been alive. Let me just throw that out there. With more than 25 years on radio talking with Baltimore area sports fans, Stan has also hosted television programs on MPT and HTS. In addition... Stan wrote a popular column from 1985 to 1990 called "A Fan's Note" for Baltimore City Paper. Whenever people from around the area, from the around the country, are writing about Baltimore sports, they always talk to Stan to get the lay of the land. And Stan, we're, first of all, Stan, thanks for joining the Section 336 show. Hey, it's my pleasure, uh, and um, I hope uh, I can be on uh, several times during the 2017 baseball season. Yeah, and I. I love hearing your voice in my ear, but you really are. You are kind of synonymous with Baltimore Sports Talk. And we do have a lot of millennials who listen to the show who sometimes need a little bit of an education. And I need a little bit of education, too, here, Stan. So can you talk to us about your start in Baltimore Sports Talk? And, and I'm also curious to hear your perspective on, I mean, you've been in the business a long time, how Sports Talk has kind of evolved from when you started to, to now. Well, I, I appreciate your asking me those rather profound questions. I got my start, you know, in 1979, WFBR took over the um, the coverage of the Orioles, the uh, broadcast rights of the Baltimore Orioles. And for as long as I had been in Baltimore, my family moved here when I was six years old after my dad died in Washington, D.C. My mom was part of a 10 uh, 10 brothers and sisters. So she wanted to move home to Baltimore to be closer to her family. So in 1958, I moved here and I can honestly say from 58 till 79, I'm pretty sure the Oriole baseball games were on BAL exclusively. There might've been a, a year or two where they were on somewhere else, but I don't recall. And basically the way broadcast partners operated back in the 50s and 60s, guys, is baseball season started uh, March 15th with maybe the first of a couple spring training broadcasts, and the station would basically turn a switch on, and that switch would be on till the end of September when the baseball season ended, and then they'd flick a switch, and you didn't hear any baseball the rest of the year. Yeah. And during the six months of the baseball season, 
you basically heard the the baseball games whenever they were on with a very brief uh, pre-game and post-game show, uh, very little ancillary programming. That began to change in the early 60s. There was kind of a renegade in Baltimore named Bennett Levine, and Benny went under the name of, and he's since passed away. I uh, passed away about 12, 14 years ago, 15 years ago. But Benny uh, went under the name of, of Benny the Fan. And I used to drive home from the baseball games. Uh, my uncles were sort of surrogate fathers, and they would always be taking me out to the ball game. And I'd be in the back seat of the car on the way home, and they'd be talking up front. I'd be listening to this fanatic baseball fan who always had sort of a straight man on as the host of the show, whether it was Jim West, Joe Krogan, somebody of that nature. And Benny was, it turned out when I got to know Benny, Benny was really not that knowledgeable a baseball fan. Uh, what Benny was, was knowledgeable as to what was entertaining. So if the host of the show said that they should, they should have bunted in the eighth inning, Benny would take the exact opposite <laughs> opinion. What are you talking about? They should have never bunted there. So if Paul Richards took a pitcher out in the seventh inning and Bill West or Joe Krogan said that was the right move, Benny said, what are you talking about? It was the right move. He should have left them in the pitch into the eighth inning. So if you said up, he'd say down. If you said north, he'd say south, and so on and so on. And he had a very entertaining program for about three or four years. Uh, fast forward, he ended up going to New York briefly for a year or two, and then even was in Los Angeles for one or two years before flaming out. Um, if you fast forward about 15 years, um, and that program, by the way, wasn't always on the Benny the Fan Show, wasn't always on the station that had the games. Sometimes it was on WITH, uh, and it would come on at 10 o'clock at night or something for two hours. Well, anyway, in 1979, after that 25, 30 years of having the games, w, WBAL lost the rights to WFBR. And the president and general manager of WFBR was Harry Shriver, who was a pretty good showman. And Harry came up with a very different approach. You didn't just flick the switch on March 15th uh, and then flick it off at the end of uh, September, and you didn't just broadcast the games. You centered your programming all day long around playing highlights of baseball games. And that's what happened. And he changed the culture. And if you look, if you Google up, and I know I'm going long-winded on one question. <laughs> I like Jim this Palmer is good right stuff. Now. I'm loving it. Yeah, so so uh, if you Google up Oriole attendance year by year, you'll notice that Oriole baseball never really drew that well. And then all of a sudden in 1979 – and this is despite the fact that from 64 on, the Orioles were kind of always in contention. Mm -hmm. uh, and, in fact, in 69, 70, 71, they made it the three straight World Series, and then they made the playoffs in 73, uh, 72, 73, 74, before some of the hard times came on for a couple of years. But you'll see that attendance really spiked by three, 400,000 people in 1979. And then all of a sudden it went from like a million one to a million five. And then there was a push to get it over two million people. So when the Orioles' first three or four year contract was over, three year contract was over, 
they wanted to come up with something new and to understand the fan. What I did was I came up with the idea of doing a Benny the Fan type program with my then sister-in-law, Laura Charles. Do you remember Laura Charles? No, no, I think I, I that's don't. still. Uh, you guys don't beyond. remember her. <laughs> no. Laura was Laura was my brother's wife, and she was on Evening Magazine. You guys are too young to remember Evening Magazine, and Laura was very, very attractive. Some would say hot looking, although she's the the mother of my nephew. So my nephew, so I won't say she's hot looking. She's very attractive, and she was like a yoga instructor on Evening Magazine, which was a Westinghouse TV show. And she wanted to be taken more seriously and do more serious stuff. And Evening Magazine didn't see her that way. So she left Evening Magazine. Ultimately, she became the gossip columnist for the Baltimore Sun from about 1983-84 till about 2000, or maybe 1998 or something like that. But this is 1981. I came up with the idea of doing a Benny the Fan show and and mentioned it to my brother, who was in the advertising business. They were looking for something to get Laura attached to. We said, how about if we team you guys up? And that sounded great to me, because I was just trying to get on the air and stand the fan and start my career. I was 27, 28 years old at the time. And they, the next thing I know, I didn't talk to my brother or sister-in-law. I was away for a couple months, and I come back in town, and find out my nephew, Josh, is the actor. He's about six years old then. He says to me, Mom's going to be doing a, a post-game radio show after the Oreo games. Well, they had gone to my good friend, Harry Shriver, and pitched the idea of a two-person show. And Harry said, well, there's no money. If Laura wants to make some money, there's only money enough to pay one person, one talent. So they, they didn't break the news to me too, too properly. They started the show with just Laura. And if you, if, you, if you go back in time and think of what that landscape was like, women hadn't been in the uh, locker rooms. They, they really had no place in the media and sports. Sure. And so it was tough to get guests to come on Laura's show. And she had a young producer at the time, a female producer, who was having trouble getting guests. The show was going on. And sometimes the show would revert to, it was in the hit and run club. It was only one after the home games. And Laura would sit there sometimes, and all of a sudden, I started hearing, why don't you come in, and we'll, we'll get you on. So I'd talk about the games, and we'd get a guest. I started getting the guests. And all of a sudden, after about a month, the program was on the air. I was bartending at Jean-Claude's Cafe in the Inner Harbor, making a lot of money at night. Um, because Harbor Place had just opened a year before, and I'm making $250 a night in tips, and I'm working like three, four nights a week in two days, and, and I'm making a nice living, but I really wanted to do this baseball talk thing. Well, all of a sudden, her producer, who, who was wearing braces in her mouth, had already had a nose job. This young <laughs> girl calls Laura and says, I can't do the show anymore. My doctor, because I'm having facial reconstruction surgery, my doctor can fit me in next week, so i got to go in and do that. And uh, that's how Stan the Fan was born. <laughs> so I quit my bartending job making this really good money. I didn't quit the whole job, but I told them I couldn't work at nights. And 
I started doing Stand the Fan on the uh, Lauren Birdland program. I did six programs, and the baseball strike of 1981 hit. And we were out of business for over two months. And then when they came back from the strike, uh, Harry Shriver, the show had gotten horrible reviews because of Laura's work the first six weeks or so before I really got attached to the show. And it had gotten a couple really bad write-ups by Phil Jackman and Harry Shriver decided to cancel the show. The following year, uh, I got a job as Rex Barney's producer. And then in 1983, I got my own radio show on weekends called All About Baseball, and the rest is history. I know that's a long-winded story. Yeah, Stan, I got to commend you. I've been We've had a lot of people on this show. We interviewed a lot of people. That is, I think you just set the record for the longest response to a single question. <laughs> Perhaps you, Stan. <laughs> and, and I, I think... I'll probably never be here. I'll never be asked back again. No, no, no. no. <laughs> right, right. But, but I think we, we can all relate to Laura because podcasters also aren't allowed in the locker room. So that that's why we don't have uh, that's, that's That is true. That is true. Yeah, and there's – whoa. That is true. I, I want to go like 10 different directions. First of all, I didn't know that the Josh Charles connection. That, that's new to me. Uh, secondly yep. – uh, Yeah. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, so now I feel like I have to have a whole other line of questioning. But um, as far as this – having the straight man and just having another guy there just to argue, that's really, um, uh, that's kind of prophetic thinking because now you have shows like Pardon uh, Pardon the Interruption and that whole entire show, which led on into these other shows like Around the Horn, was all based off that idea of, okay, let's have two guys just get on and fight each other about different topics. That's exactly right. You know, and, and I guarantee you, Benny, Benny Levine and Joe Krogan or Benny and Jim West, whoever first started the program, they didn't come up with the idea. The idea was probably probably started a uh, hundred years before that, the first time people strang tin uh, cans together and talked. Uh, there was something about the friction of disagreement that makes for interesting talk. Yeah, that's, that's not twenty-minute answers. Twenty-minute <laughs> answers are not a good thing. <laughs> Your answer is only guys. 10 minutes, all you're all fine. kidding aside, all kidding aside, that is the longest answer I've ever given. <laughs> and and while I was giving the answer, I didn't quite know where to stop. But I kept thinking of the every time I've interviewed Jim Palmer, that's how I felt. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you you forgot to tell us that you never gave up a grand slam. Well, Jim Palmer gave up one grand slam in in the minor leagues, and do you know who hit it? Uh, didn't it, didn't he say it got, it got pulled off the record books because of a rain out or something, something like that? I don't think so. I don't think so. But okay. the name that who I always it? heard attached to it was jo- Johnny Bench. Oh, really? <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I never heard that. Jim Palmer uh, was pitching, of course, for Rochester back in those days, and I forget. I think Johnny Bench played for Buffalo at the time, but I always heard, because I used to hear it in conjunction with he never gave up a grand slam in the big leagues, but he did give one up in the minor leagues, and it was to Johnny Bench. Well, that, that that's much better than having some no-name guy on, on your record. That's sure better than, like, Cookie Rojas or something like that. <laughs> well, I want to get in, into this, and I, I you, you recently wrote an article for, for PressBox that I want to get into, too, but before we get there... Um, you told us kind of your perspective, your getting into to radio and kind of how it's evolved. 
how does the and I I know you 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 do the Battle Round show and that's a podcast as well. Yeah. How, how does the podcast, which are, are now become a more and more popular thing, and we've been doing it for four years now, and since we started, there's been I don't know what a hundred times more Baltimore podcasts now since when we first started. How does yep. that fit into all of this uh, Baltimore sports talk? Well, it's it's certainly got its it certainly has its place in it for me. Uh, when we brought over Glenn Clark, and I know Glenn knows Josh pretty well, yeah. uh, when we brought over Glenn Clark and, and agreed we were going to try and make an honest effort, uh, Glenn came to us with a pretty, uh, pretty interesting idea, which was, hey, I'll supply this programming, and I'm going to bring in a guy that can sell the advertising, and if you, you know, we'll let you make a little money, and we need to make a, a chunk of money. And we came up with a meeting of the minds, uh, and then when they started, his his salesperson wasn't as good at selling at it as we could be, mm-hmm. because we had the ability to incorporate within packages, like if you bought uh, Glenn's five-day-a-week uh, podcast or live stream, you also could buy ads in, on the TV show or ads on in the newspaper or ads on our digital network. So we were able to sell it much better, and we came to an agreement that Glenn was going to do these shows five days a week. And all of a sudden, I started seeing a guy right next, literally, Josh, and you've been to our offices, a guy right next door to me doing what I had done for 20 years, and he sounded like he was having fun. I was at that time, I'd gotten PressBox off the ground. We weren't nearly a major success, but I was longing to get some baseball notoriety again i had missed being kind of the man in baltimore baseball because by the time i'm talking about now it had been about 14 years since i had had a really regular presence in baseball so i was attempting to get a part-time weekend gig on xm radio uh and that never came to fruition so when glenn started doing this stuff i said you know what maybe i should do a baseball show I'll do my own baseball show on my own website. And the mechanism was already there. So my business partner said, yeah, let's try it. And uh, Ken Zalas came on and started doing football. So for us at PressBox, it's a fairly important way for us to connect with our audience and have some, you know, immediate feedback. And uh, we also were, we got pretty good quickly uh, with Glenn getting some really top-notch guests Let's say he gets Mark Turgeon on the air. Well, maybe only 30 people hear the interview with Mark Turgeon, but if our assistant editor writes a piece about what Turgeon said and puts it up on our website, 500 people or 700 people see it. So we start to get some real ability to create content and create revenue that way. That's how it's become important to us. Now, where other people are making money on their podcast or whether they're just Labors of love, I'm not sure, but there certainly has been a proliferation of them. It seems like everybody has one now. Jason Lockenfora and Jerry Coleman, Tom Lavero has one, uh, and the list goes on and on of people I know in the media that are trying to do their own podcasts. Yeah, there's lots of uh, media moving in that direction. What I, what has always attracted me about PressBox is, in today's world, we've got where the Orioles want to own their network and the Ravens want to own their network and they want to uh, control all the reporters and everything. And uh, I love 
watching post game shows and Bucks uh, after game pressers because I'll hear your voice ask a question. And that's when I know that's not a controlled media. That's not Rock asking a question for Madison. That's an independent voice. Um, do you ever get much pushback from, from Buck or uh, guys at the Orioles because maybe you're the guy to ask the tough question? No. I, I, first of all, I think Buck does a remarkable job at deflect. You know, you know, it's very interesting. Buck Showalter, one of the things I've, I've grown, it's – it's something both that I don't like about him, but that I respect the hell out of him. And he is not going to let the media create the landscape of what's discussed. So he has a way of deflecting negativity. It's just never a part. It really isn't a part of his post-game radio shows, uh, the post-game interviews that are on Masson. Uh, there's not a lot of negativity. Now, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it that we're not talking about anything nearly as negative as we might have with Lee Mazzilli or Sam Perlazzo or Dave Trembley because the team is over 500 every year? That Probably helps. part of that. But, but Buck does not allow the negativism enter his locker room, and uh, that's something I really respect. He guards it. It's almost like the secretary that is the gatekeeper to you know, her boss, uh, when phone calls come in, and she says, well, Mr. Johnson can't come to the phone right now. Let me take a message. No, he can't come to the phone right now. I don't care if you're his wife. He'll call you back. Uh, the, the gatekeeper is tremendous, and Buck has this way of being his own gatekeeper to keep things sort of on a positive keel. But the answer is I've always felt very comfortable uh, in a baseball setting where I was never afraid to really ask the tough question, and I think I command a little respect because I ask some tougher questions. Uh, so it's never been – I've never gotten any real blowback from the birds. Um, okay, okay. I want to I want to piggyback off that and, and ask you a question. But before I do, I just want to make a comment that I listen to Glenn Clark sometimes, and he does. You're right. He has the best guests. And so every time he has someone like Mark Turgeon – that week we'll have someone like the Maryland's water boy on our show or something, <laughs> but I'm always so impressed by the, by the type, by the quality of guests that Glenn Clark, Glenn Clark gets like Josh. I'm telling Josh needs to like steal Glenn Clark's phone and just go through his contact list real quick. It's, you know, it's, Al, it's, pop it. yeah, it's, it's Alan Mills that drives you crazy. Cause yeah. Alan Mills will call into Glenn and that's your I dream want, guy. I just want five minutes with Alan Mills. Is that asking too much? Five minutes with Alan Mills. Anyway, to- <laughs> that's not asking. I'm going to, I'll talk to Alan Mills when I see him next week. Uh, I'll say, you've got to do section three thirty six. Right. And I got to get, I got to try and get, I got to see if I can get Jonathan scope on. I mean, the scope is dope. T-shirt is, uh, is my favorite. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, and, and we're going to make sure we get you one of those soon. But how oh, it's my it's my turn. It better for be ex, better be it better be double extra large the way I'm going. <laughs> all, right, all right, it's heading your way. I want to I want to go off that positivism by 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 Buck, um, and connected with that article that you recently wrote. So I was when I saw the Pedro Alvarez signing, uh, and and that they were going to convert him to an outfielder. Like many or other Oriole fans, I like shook my head. Like, what are you doing? And then after hearing the comments by Buck about Pedro Alvarez becoming an outfielder, I started to think, oh, well, that's. Okay, this could work because Buck always has that way of spinning things. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Pedro yeah. Alvarez signing? Well, 
I wrote a piece today, and I wanted to write a piece about two or three weeks ago when Tillman was hurt initially in, at the beginning of spring training. I said, this, this scares the hell out of me, and it also scares the hell out of me. Even if Tillman's healthy, if we get one injury of the top five starting pitchers, I'm not real comfortable with Mike Wright or Tyler Wilson, and, and Hunter Harvey's nowhere near ready. Uh, he's just going to be trying to come back midseason or in June this year. I said, who's available out there? So I looked up and I said, my old reliable, Colby Lewis, mm-hmm. is interesting, who in fact pitched for Buck Showalter back in 2004 and won 10 games one year for Buck Showalter before, and he pitched, I think, two years with Showalter. Then he was with uh, Oakland for a year, Detroit for a year. Then he went to Japan for two years. And then he's been with the Rangers six or seven straight years. Two years ago, 2015, he was 17 and nine, um, and uh, put up you know a remarkable season pitching for the Texas Rangers. And um, I, I looked at his season last year. I saw where he was only five and six. He only started 19 games, but then Baseball Reference allows you to click on um, game by game. And I looked at his game-by-game, and guys, last year out of his 19 starts, if you take the top 14 starts, and most of those were before he got hurt, like in late June and then didn't come back until September, his 14 starts that I'm talking about, his best 14 starts, and I'm not talking about three and a third, four and a third, I'm talking about seven innings, eight innings, seven innings, six innings, eight innings, seven innings, his earned run average was 2.35. So I had my eye on Colby Lewis about three, four weeks ago, started to write a piece, and I just ended up holding off on it. I haven't been writing as much the last month. I don't know whether I've had writer's block or something. But Pedro Alvarez, this signing, and I like Pedro Alvarez, don't get me wrong, but this signing hit me, the, the title hit me right away, it's sort of like, you know, Rome burns while Nero fiddles. Right. And I said, while Tillman's ailing, is Dan Duquette just fiddling? I mean, I can't understand what in what universe it was important to re-sign Pedro Alvarez and announce that he's going to be an outfielder when you've got your number one starting pitcher and arguably maybe Bundy and Gosman are ready to overtake him and be the one and two, and Tillman's... But Tillman is the titular head of this pitching staff. He's the glue that holds it together. And And you're not trying to make an improvement to get somebody to replace Tillman if he's hurt, but yet you're going to put $5 million in resources toward Pedro Alvarez as an outfielder? It makes no sense to me. Yeah, and it's not just that. Even if Chris Tillman, you could argue that he's now longer the number one if Kevin Gossman steps up. But still, it's the drop-off there in quality, right? It's you, you're taking Chris Tillman yeah, I mean, he's and you're replacing him you with Mike Wright so far, and Tyler Wilson. So far, so far, Bundy and Gossman, and I don't get me wrong, I think both of them are real good. I think Gossman, Bundy will pitch about 145 to 150 innings this year. And I think Gossman will probably get over 200 innings. But Tillman has had over 200 innings for four straight years. So who's going to pick up those 200 innings? And maybe you don't need the 200 picked up. Maybe you need 100 in April, May, and the first two weeks of June. 
Well, who do you want pitching those hundred innings? Mike Wright, Tyler Wilson, no. or Colby Lewis? Colby Lewis. Or maybe they're maybe they're going to plan on changing Pedro Alvarez to a pitcher in three weeks. Well, I don't know. That, that's what I heard. I heard the. I heard first. I heard Alvarez is is, is going to be converted to a pitcher. Yeah. Then I heard he's well, going to be converted Alvarez. to an outfielder. That's Dariel, that's <laughs> but the only thing I could think I just of Stan, myself. The only thing I could yeah. think of on why they're doing well, this or why they're not signing a pitcher is whether I know I've heard a lot of good things about Jason Aquino or whether they've seen something in Vidal Nuno or Gabriel Yanoa. The only logic is maybe they see something in one of these guys that they think would be just as good as Kobe Lewis, but I'm with you. I, I just don't see it. Well, the, the interesting thing is if you, if you follow the dots on this, remember the platelet-rich uh, plasma injection that uh, Chris Tillman had. Is that what it's called, platelet-rich? Sounds right. Yeah, plasma like or whatever. Yep. He, he had that injection December 28th. We didn't find out about it until about December 1st. In that four and a half weeks, they picked up Gabriel Enoa and, and I think Logan Verrett in that time period. Verrett may have been picked up two weeks before. So I think there was a feeling that we might have a little problem brewing with Tillman, and we don't want to publicize it, uh, and we'll try and make a couple low, you know, almost like last year's Despagne pickup late in, you know, in February. Uh, I think they tried to get, a, like, a couple low-profile pickups in Yanoa and Verrett, but yet we're hearing, I don't know it's because I'm not down there yet, and it's just local media, but we're hearing that Mike Wright is like choice number one. Yeah. I, he's never shown me much after his first 20 innings in the major leagues that I want him anywhere near a starting rotation. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about Mike Wright is he, he would look good at times, but then he would he couldn't keep his composure. He's a Tommy Hunter. He's, 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 he's a, a, a seventh-inning reliever at best. Get out I, I I say he's got an awful lot of Rocky Coppinger in him, and you yeah. guys – Again, are probably too young. No, no, we, we, no, we, we get that, that reference. We get that yeah. reference. He signed my brother's fruit roll up. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, true story. Well, well, but, uh, but in other words, I think I, I think Mike's got interesting stuff down the road. I see him more like a Tommy Hunter type uh, a guy. Uh, I don't see him as the guy that's going to come in here and save the day in April and May. Uh, when we lose some important games because we don't have a starting pitcher, isn't isn't well? Hold on, I just well, want to make frankly. Uh, go go ahead. ahead. I just want to mention, just throw in here th- th- what was also done. You can say they signed Verrett and and you know, but they also traded away Yvonne Gallardo, who was a starter last year. So they also traded away a starter. So, so that makes you wonder as well. Well, they traded away a starter, but remember, this club did have a couple holes, and one of the big holes they had was on base percentage. And they got a, a workman-like outfielder. He's, he doesn't throw as well as Mark Trumbo, but he's a much more solid defender in right field, um, and that's Seth Smith. And the thing that Seth Smith does that seems to be anathema to all other Orioles, not named Hyunsoo Kim, is he gets on base. Yep. He's got a career on base percentage of about 345. And uh, to me... With the two of them in the lineup, the club has a chance at least when when right-handed pitchers are starting against the team to to bump up that one-base percentage. You know, Earl Weaver, that famous saying about him is, give me good pitching fundamentals and three-run homers. He didn't say, give me good pitching fundamentals 
and solo home runs. Right. And uh, you got to have two guys on base to hit a three-run homer. And all too often, the Orioles don't have the two guys on base. So that's why they, they were able to give up Gallardo or were willing to give up Gallardo. And they also saved a little money that has now bought them a couple of these other guys like Bourne and, and like um, Chris Gentry who may make this team. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely are working on uh, – the one complaint I think lots of Oriole fans have had recently is that there's no depth in the minor leagues, and they really seem to try to address that this year, at least with the outfield position. A triple-A team's going to be solid. They brought in solid a lot of guys for triple-A, yeah. Guys, I, I just, just don't touch you on that point, and I know you didn't tell me to talk about this, but I just wanted to say I heard Jim Callis about three weeks ago on with Jim Bowden and Jim Duquette on XM Radio, and he was talking about his MLB pipeline, and that's where the beginning of the year, like by February, he's got the top 100 prospects each year, okay, that, that he sees in all of baseball. Right, he's so from Baseball America. And I looked up Baseball America. I looked up MLB pipeline, and I noticed that he started it in 2011 with only 50 players, and then in 2012, through this year, he's done 100 players. So that's 650 players he's picked over seven seasons, right? right. Six seasons. Okay. The Orioles have seven players taking up 12 slots over, over these seven years. The Yankees, I'm just talking to the American League East, have 13 players in 27 slots. The Toronto Blue Jays have 18, uh, 12 players, 18 spots. The Tampa Bay Rays, who don't have anywhere near the assets the Orioles do, but they must, must do a much better job at developing talent. Absolutely. They've had 14 names in the pipeline and 25 spots. And when I say spot versus player, that's when a Dylan Bundy shows up three times, okay? Okay, Over gotcha, three yeah. years. And the Boston Red Sox, have 18 players and 30 spots. So when you talk about the Orioles not having a lot in the minor leagues, they have not had a lot in the minor leagues over these last six or seven years, and it's the one very clear-cut problem that Dan Duquette has had as vice president of baseball office of the Orioles. He's a guy that throughout his career was always a development guy, and uh, they haven't done a good job at developing players, the Orioles. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of okay now, right? Because as long as you're putting a competitive team on the field. But the second, I'm saying two years from now, when when some of these guys, their contracts start you know, running out, Zach Britton, Chris Tillman, Manny Machado, and you're unable to re-sign all of these guys, which they won't be able to re-sign all these guys, then you're in really big trouble if you don't have those because the cool thing about minor league players, the best thing about them, is they cost no money when they come to the majors. They're so cheap. And when you can't add in those cheap yep. options, it, then you're, it really it, it, it hand strings you as a, as a franchise. Except for one thing, though. The Boston Red Sox, part of the fact that they have 18 players in 30 spots is their commitment to signing Cuban ball players. Yep. Uh, you know, a Yoan Mancata, a Rosny Castillo. They're out there taking a shot on that. It's and like what buying I draft picks. I understand for the life of me. Yeah, it's like buying draft picks that don't cost you a slot in the draft. They do cost you money, but for some reason, 
and I've never really gotten a good answer from anybody as to why the Orioles don't play. In other words, where the where the Red Sox have Yorn Mankata and Rusni Castillo, and they spent gigantic dollars on the two of them, we've got Dario Alvarez and Henry Urrutia. Well, sometimes you get what you pay for, and we didn't pay that much. But when you look at an Oakland A's ball club that had the gumption to sign um, uh, Cespedes mm-hmm. for a six-year, $66 million contract, if they can do it once in a while, I'm not saying the Orioles should be in that market every year, but you never hear them attached to really top-level Cuban talent, which is a free way of getting talent, a free by way of development. You can, you can bypass the development and just throw a chunk of money on somebody. Yeah. Yeah, now, the, the radio caller will call in and say, well, that's because Peter Angelos is cheap. How do you feel about Peter Angelos and how he's – has he been a good owner uh, – or and has the average fan well, just I've, not understand? I've had, I've had my problems with Peter. Um, you know, uh, I, he took the ball club. He took the ball club over, and now it's all the way back in in nineteen ninety three. So this is the twenty fifth year of his ownership. Um, I think I think there was a time where Peter was a really intense meddler who didn't know anything about baseball. Uh, and then there was a time where Peter got tired of being, it's almost like he could do no right, so he, like, sort of shut off. Uh, he, like, kind of let Flanagan and Beatty kind of, and Jim Duquette play around at a low level. I don't think it was until he brought in Andy McPhail that he kind of first trusted somebody uh, to do a good job for him in developing uh, and turning things around. And I think since Andy McPhail came in, and it was a real fluke that they found Dan Duquette because Dan had been essentially blackballed out of baseball. And blackballed may be a tad, uh, tad too strong a word, but Dan, Dan had an M.O. in Boston um, where he was very unpopular with the media there. The management knew how unpopular he was and sort of how... Um, he was disconnected. He was, he, there was a certain lack of humanity in the way that Dan Duquette ran the Boston Red Sox. He's worked on that over 10 years because he loves what he does and has a passion for building baseball teams that, that can compete. Uh, and I think he's a very special baseball man. So it's not easy for me to write a column like I did about this Alvarez versus Colby Lewis thing right. because at the end of the day, Duquette's pretty right a lot of the time but i think uh you know uh, the orioles fluked into finding dan duquette it was remember it was when uh, i think it was al avila or, or the assistant general manager of the toronto blue jays turned the orioles down that they turned they said they didn't want to get turned down by too many people so they offered it to a guy they knew would take the job and that was dan duquette yeah after a series of really bad general managers yeah, we certainly are. But they had terrible. Yeah, they had a terrible run with Sid Thrift. Oh, Sid well, Thrift. Oh, Pat yeah. Pat Gillick was a great. Pat, Pat Gillick was a great general manager, uh, a great team builder. Peter Angelos and him uh, despised one another very shortly into uh, Pat's three or four years here, uh, and then when Sid Thrift ended up with the job, Sid was terrible, mm. uh, and then it got even worse after that. 
it did get better. I thought that Andy McPhail did a good job, and he doesn't, I think, sometimes get enough credit for all the core pieces he brought to this team he, that Dan Duquette then built upon. He did, he, he did the heavy lifting. You know, he was the one that somehow, after 20 years dating back to when Edward Bennett Williams owned the team, maybe 25 years, he was the one that was able to finally convince the owner and work through how to get that deal done, the Sarasota deal, to get the orders a spring training home, which they hadn't had yeah. in over 20 years. You know, And you can't underestimate what that means when you're talking about bringing in free agents or other players that see what it's like to, to, you know, to experience Sarasota in the spring. So it's been a remarkable part of the town. And then, of course, the trades that Andy McPhail made, uh, the, um, you know, the Eric Bedard for Adam Jones trade, uh, and then the, the uh, trade that he got rid of Miguel Tejada and got those couple good players from uh, Houston, Luke Scott and Matt Albers and uh, the left-hand player, uh, who was around for a couple of years. Um, you know, he did a terrific job. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stan, we have to we have to get out of here uh, because uh, we I could talk to you for the, the 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 entire show, and we almost did talk to you for the entire <laughs> show. Uh, but it's been a really good conversation. I, I do want to have you uh, back on here as well uh, at, at some point. Have you back on the show because I didn't even get to all. Josh jumped in with some of his questions. I didn't get to all my questions. I wanted to talk about. Uh, Rex Barney and working with Rex Barney and do another education lesson for, for the millennials. But we'll save that for uh, the next time you're on here. I promise I won't make an. I promise I won't have an answer longer than three or four minutes. <laughs> but all we right? we encourage. Listen, <laughs> right, thanks for having me on. You guys, you guys are doing a terrific job over there with Section Three Thirty Six. And uh, Josh, we appreciate what you've done helping us out at Press Box. We're going to make it uh, a little bit of our cause uh, to get 336 even to a higher level, and we'll uh, work together. Look forward to it. Well, I appreciate it, Stan. Thanks, man. Thank you, Stan. All right, guys. Stay well and get plenty of toilet paper and food. You used to call me on my cell phone. Day night when you need my love. Call me on my cell phone. Day night when you and that was Stan the Fan Charles. And we do encourage everyone uh, to check out PressBoxOnline.com and read his article. Also, he has the um, the, the podcast. Yeah. The Bat Around. The Bat Around Every podcast. Every Saturday. Where and yeah, go subscribe to that. Yeah, it's a good podcast. Good Baltimore podcast. He has and a bunch of uh, he gets guests. Good, he gets, gets good, good guests. guests. He always has good guests on there. Yeah. I was on a get couple the, weeks he ago. He gets the best guests. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> and then uh, for, yeah, He's for, a winner. For all the young People that are listening to our show, the millennials. You you might not know who Stan Josh the Fan is. Josh is afraid is, to say the M word now. But, but <laughs> yeah, people, on Twitter, people on Twitter, people on Twitter, hating Josh for using the M word. Really? So now yeah. he doesn't say millennials. But anymore. hey, millennials, <laughs> millennials, you know who Stan the Fan is, even if you don't know who Stan the Fan is. It's probably the guy who, when you're watching Buck afterwards, who asks the good questions. Yeah, you, you probably recognize his voice. I would imagine. I would think so. Yeah. So that was. We appreciate Stan the Fan Charles coming on here, and hopefully, I. We can have him here on here again. At yeah, because we got to get more into just his experience, the fact that he's been in Baltimore sports for so long. Yeah, yeah, and I, I always, I think we lack a certain perspective, being the young new, newbies that we are. We lack a certain, uh, um, a certain oldness. Well, yeah, we, we <laughs> didn't. We didn't have to like perspective that right. comes with with being a fan for fifty years. Sure, sure. 
Uh, we got anything to wrap the show with up? Let's uh, get out of here. Right? We got to beat the snow. Yeah. Uh, give you think give the, me the intern music. All right, let's see if he's, oh, yeah. if he's not clicking. So, Daryl Alvarez actually had 32 at-bats in the majors. The three at-bats were just from last year. And what's his bat oh, average? Last year. Uh, 400. <laughs> I was going to say, with 32 at-bats, he had seven hits, one being a double, one being a home run. Seven, 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 that's, seven, that's, that's about 300, 250. 250. Okay. Secret weapon, National League. National League. Hey, Reds, give me a call. But yeah, that's it. And by, oh, Reds, by the way, if you want to make a trade for Daryl Alvarez, you don't call Josh Protection 236. Hey, give me a call. <laughs> Seven for 32 is actually 219, which is exactly the batting average really? you said. Yeah. Like I said, Reds, give me a call. <laughs> I've been listening, I haven't read that uh, data baseball book. I'm a, I'm a baseball nerd now. See, I got that 219. Josh, you read uh, data, ba- data, data baseball. Big data baseball. Big data, big big data baseball. Or big data, ba- date, da- a big, day for baseball. Big. A big date for baseball. How to date a baseball? Big baseball. What's the size of your big data? <laughs> Who's your daddy? <laughs> right, uh, Who's your baseball daddy? The actual title is big data baseball. That's don't still, judge that's a baseball confusing. by the size of its data. Um, <laughs> what was your one takeaway from big baseball data? Pitch framing. That what really? It's all about the pirates and uh, Russell. My big takeaway is two <laughs> is two forward. <laughs> Russell Pitch Martin. Framing. It's all about the pirates. No, no. <laughs> I take- love pirates. Oh, oh you mean the Pittsburgh Pirates? Now Johnny I'm telling Depp. you why. <laughs> big takeaway is pitch framing. The pi- It's all about the pirates and specifically with pitch framing. Jack they, Sparrow. They brought in Russell Martin. Uh, I think Russell Martin's the catcher, right? Yeah. Yes. David Jones Lock. Yeah. Yes. Russell Martin, who. <laughs> Really got it behind pitch framing, and they credit the way Russell Martin handled the pitch framing and behind the plate to really help boosting their pitchers and helping their pitchers First out of all, a ton. First of all, did they use the word pitch framing? Because it's embarrassing. They did use the I word like pitch framing. I like to use the term pitch receiving. Pitch receiving, yeah, exactly. That's, but that's they, they called it say. pitch framing. Uh, part two is at the very end, they talk about something that we here in Baltimore refer to all the time, which is the buck influence. And they talk about the fact that there's something – that baseball has not found a way to calculate yet, but that the nerds are trying to quantify this thing that we call team chemistry or manager effect and this whole uh, how a guy like Buck Showalter can come in and uh, a team that uh, on all the paper and fan graphs say they should lose somehow has the chemistry and builds it. And, uh, Somehow it's coming. The nerds. And, and, and any job we've all worked at, we know that a good right. manager can make all the difference. Right, but the nerds don't do that. The nerds need it to be on paper because they're in their so mother's the nerds, basement. They don't the understand nerds how this are works. trying to figure out a stat for that type yeah. of thing. I like how Josh says the nerds when he's becoming one of the nerds reading big. He just read a book d- about how to date a baseball. <laughs> <laughs> reading a book doesn't make me a nerd. And I mean, what do you tell us the truth? Do you audible it? Yeah, yeah, I read you it. Listen to the book. <laughs> I read it with my ears. <laughs> my ears are the best reader. Yeah. All right, boys and girls. We got a, we got a big show next week. Big show next week. Unless we, we push it back a week, <laughs> which we are prone to do. Ne- next year, next week is our official four year anniversary. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know that until. Question right now. is, should we push it back to the twenty seventh? What's the twenty seventh? Like the week after. Oh, why? Because will we be ready for a big show on Tuesday? Oh my! Twenty seventh is the start of a big week altogether. That's true. That's a crazy. Uh, we got a crazy month coming up. Uh, hey, before we get out of here, can I say that Birdland Radio is coming back? We haven't announced it yet, and we're doing it the Sunday before opening day. Yes, you may say that. Just like before, April second. Do you know who's on it? Yes, I do. 
Who's on it? Us. 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 All right, Burke got one. Um, Your turn. Shoot. Um, There's other guys. Bird watchers. <laughs> There's no one called bird watchers. Baseball fam. Baseball fam now. All right. Backward K. They're dead. <laughs> Section 336. Spastics. Section 336 cool, sucks. What's cool about Birdland Radio is we, three, is we bring six. in a bunch of little shows that you've never heard of, as well as some bigger shows that you have known. Yeah. And we give you a chance to just listen to Oriole Radio all day, uh, Oriole Podcasts all day from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Some of the shows, Section 336, the OBP Podcast. Oh, OBP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure they only podcast on Birdland Radio each year. <laughs> uh, Utah Street Report's coming in. And they're going to be doing a show. Nice. Perched at the Yard. Oh, I love Perched at the Yard. Yeah. I remember those um, guys. Yeah, they were in the last year. Our boy Adam Pohl from BaltimoreBaseball.com. Oh, he yeah. He's coming in with, Story time. Yeah, with some minor league talk. So that's that's going to be the one I pay attention to. Uh, <laughs> none, none of the other ones. <laughs> no. Some <laughs> new, guy, uh, new guys to Birdland Radio. Backdoor Sports, which is a new podcast that just started like two months oh, ago. Oh, I haven't even checked them out yet. No, those guys will be coming in. All right, I'll check them out. Very good. And then a, uh, another uh, larger show, Orioles Uncensored. Oh, those, yeah. Those nerds are coming in. I yeah, they got, they got some nerds on there. So that, they're, they're good to Twitters. They're, yeah. they're good Twitters. Right. So we might, might add another show or two before then, but it's coming together real nice, and it's going to be an awesome day on Sunday, April 3rd, just to get excited and talk to talk Orioles. Absolutely. It was fun last year. Can't wait to do it again. All right, boys and girls, check us out at section336.com. You can support our show there. You can also write us a review to support the show. You can also follow us on on, uh, on Instagram and on Twitter at section336show. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at section336. You can follow Bert. At Bert Rohde. You can follow Josh. At Josh Soroka. And you can follow the intern. At WW Intern. But I wouldn't recommend it. Thanks for listening, boys and girls. And as always, go O's and go Terps. Section 336 is a affiliate of 24-7 Networks. Find Section 336 on utahstreetreport.com.